we have to be able to articulate to people around us when we feel used, consumed, and, and like we're disappearing. There's not a, a quick fix on that one. But, but a life of learning to say out loud what you need and how you feel and identifying all the ways that you feel consumed and all the things that reconstitute you. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. A few books helped carry me through a lonely stretch of the pandemic this summer, One of them was Wild in the Hollow, On Chasing Desire and Finding the Broken Way Home, by today's guest, Amber C. Haynes. In her memoir, Amber writes about feeling a sense of homesickness and exile from her evangelical family and community during her rebellious teen years when she began experimenting with alcohol, drugs, and sex. She writes about having an abortion and later an affair, about her marriage, motherhood, and trying to find her place in different church communities over the years. And she shares how her faith and her relationship with God has helped sustain her through all sorts of joy and heartache. I wanted to talk to Amber for perennials because I think that growing up always requires some form of leaving home and searching for home, some grappling with desire, freedom, and belonging. And Amber writes about all these subjects so beautifully. She's a poet who is funny and down to earth. And in our conversation today, she has so much to share about learning to receive love and lean on hope, which I think is extra important right now in the darkest period of an already dark year. Amber lives in Arkansas with her husband and fellow author Seth Haynes and their four sons. You can find her online at amberchaines.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at amberchaines. Amber, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been really steeped in your words recently because I was I listened to the audiobook of Wild in the Hollow this summer, and then I just re-listened to it recently when you agreed to chat with me. So um, it's such a poetic book. It's so beautifully written. It just always made me want to, like I would go out for walks while I listened to it because I just wanted to be outside. (laughs) Especially when you're talking about your, where you grew up in Alabama and kind of your connection to the landscape. So I actually was wondering if we could just start there and talk about um, where you're from. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I mean, where I'm from is, you know, on my lips. So my accent, especially during the pandemic, my accent has doubled. It has, I've reverted. Um, I guess because I'm in my own head a lot without a lot of outside influence. So I am actually the first generation that I know of and I know a really long generational history for my family. Um, I'm the first generation that hasn't actually owned a farm or a homestead of some kind. And so in my, you know, lived like storytelling, like passed down storytelling, um, it's all relate. The landscape is always the land and this relationship with land and with 
feeding people and animals. And so, um, and also just like enjoying just joy. It was always nature. It was always listen to how the, the pine trees pop when it gets colder or when the wind blows. And we weren't a, a family or a people that talked about like spiritual things a whole lot. But when we did talk about God, it would be in those settings. Mm-hmm. That was the place that we were free to kind of like exchange ideas and, and actually sit in awe. Mm-hmm. And we lived on a mountain. And so there were mountain views and we lived by a river. And so we were often around water. And so we just had a lot of interaction with, with the land and with nature. Yeah. I think that was extra captivating to me because growing up in suburban New Jersey, it's just very easy to feel so separate and you're not really, but you just feel like you are. And then something like hurricane Sandy happens and it's like, Oh no, we're not separate at all. But, um, you grow up just kind of driving everywhere, going through drive-throughs and, you know, like getting a lot of convenience and fast paced and inside and, um, So I was just like, oh, like listening to your words, I wanted to learn the names of trees and the names of birds. I would go like walking in our, uh, at different wildlife preserves nearby and just wanted to learn the names all of a sudden, because there's something about like, um, knowing the names of the creatures around you and the plants around you. That's like very magical. I don't know. And I I love that in your writing. Well, Thank you. And I feel like what you're saying is really important. It makes me think of like God's first relationship with humanity is in the garden. Mm. And what did God do? He said, you know, name, like help me name this stuff. You get to name it. And like, that's how the relationship starts is just to be like, Oh gosh, look at this. Mm. What's it called? And then you start seeing how actually like interdependent you are on these things around you. And I think you're right when we're, I mean, even for me, we live in, you know, we live in town and I have a half acre that I garden, but it's still, I'm pretty removed from, Mm. you know, most of the food that I eat and, you know, like you have to work really hard for it, but, but when you do get to have a connection to those things and start to understand where your food comes from and what all it took to make that, um, all the actual like death that goes into Mm -hmm. making life too, like we're surrounded by it and we actually can't survive without it. So it, I don't know, it brings a lot of meaning to my life to understand, um, my place, Mm -hmm. a literal place, but connection to the wild is pretty important. Yeah. And that's throughout your book, there's this Um, you talk about your childhood being kind of Edenic and, um, but then there's the sense of exile and homesickness that you talk about. So like having a childhood where you felt very connected to the land, to your family, to your church and like your culture. And then as you grew up and started to have a different sort of awareness and different desires and impulses and things like that, um, you started to feel more uh, separated. I know that you had an evangelical upbringing, right? Right. 
and I kind of identify as like Catholic now, like <laughs> I was raised Catholic <laughs> and yeah. it's so interesting to me that you have, you recently became Catholic, right? This, uh, right. this year, right? Yeah. Um, and for me, it's always been like such a struggle trying to kind of find like, is, is the Catholic church home for me? Is it not? Like there are so many things I struggle with. And a lot of those things have to do with the themes you talk about in the book of desire and freedom and, um, not being ashamed and things like that. So how have you, have you stayed in touch with the parts of you that you felt would be rejected by the church or rejected by your family or even parts of you that maybe scared you, <laughs> mm -hmm. these wild parts. I mean, that's really what I was interested in hearing from you is how to be part of something bigger than you, maybe part of a tradition, part of a family, part of a church without rejecting the parts of you that had that spark in them that maybe led you places you don't want to go <laughs> right now, but had good in them. That's right. Such a long question. I'm it's sorry. Small, <laughs> simple question. <laughs> that, I mean, I think it's great. I am definitely going to just say on the front end that I'm going to speak very just forthright from the lens that I use because I don't know how to mm -hmm. do, do it another way right yeah. now. And I hope that people will be able to eat the meat and spit out what they consider the bones. So for me, what I called wild, these impulses or desires was actually not, it's not, it's not wild. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just human. Yes. Yes. And I think that we have these pictures in our head of like, when I grow up, I'm going to be this or your family kind of paints a picture of what you're supposed to be. And then we leave the house and, and we're not, we're not home anymore. And so we go on this search for what does it mean to be home and to be accepted in, in my full humanity. Um, it's not like a, like a wild versus, uh, you know, residential or like <laughs> tamed or something tamed. yeah it's not wild versus tame um or domesticated you know right it, it really is how can I be fully human healthy human and a thing I've been thinking about a lot is um all the ways that we dehumanize ourselves and others um, and often we do that when we are in, in despair, mm -hmm. like when we are without hope, we, um, tend to lose touch with our humanity. And so we see things like the desire, you, you know, to have like physical intimacy with people or even something so insane as the desire to just eat food. Like we get frustrated with ourselves when we're hungry because we don't want to gain weight, you know, ridiculous things like that, but we're human. Like these are things that we actually need to anticipate our, ourselves. We anticipate our hunger, our desire, and, um, and then becoming healthy 
and growing up is like learning how to like actually treat yourself human and, and finding space that will, will help you do that. And so I had believed that for me, um, in the church that I grew up in, that there, there was not going to be space for me to do that there. I didn't understand anyway that it could. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of times we don't, we don't know how to move forward in these ways without like really messing up. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things I love about your book is that you really show how growing up and all of these things, searching for home or searching for God or searching for, um, like a stronger relationship with yourself. It's not linear. Your book is not like a before and after. It's not like, oh, I had this, these crazy teen years. And then I, literally had a come to Jesus moment. And then, and that was it. And then I was just pure and I never struggled. You show how it's this like ongoing lifelong thing. I think we all have certain um, areas that just challenge us in different ways. And one of those things that you talk about is your body and sexuality. And I think so many women in particular, like I as well, especially if you grow up in some form of purity culture, right. you think I'm, oh, I'm ruined. Like I crossed some line and I'm ruined now. And, um, and that doesn't just like go away. No. Um, and you've talked about kind of struggling with that even after you got married. And I'm kind of curious, like, do you feel like once you got married, were you almost like afraid of your body and your sexuality and what do you think you were afraid of if if so I definitely think the answer is yes I definitely was afraid of my sexuality maybe more that it would take over yeah I mean, I'm asking this question because to be totally transparent, like I I have experienced that. Yeah. Being afraid of it and being afraid it would take over and I wouldn't be able to control it or. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that's coming to my mind right now is that um, it took me years and years and years to really believe, and I'm still in process, but I feel like I'm in a good place. I've been married for 21 years. Um, It took me a really long time to believe that I was loved, like Mm -hmm. all the way. And um, to actually let, to understand my sexuality as like a conduit of an exchange of love and not just this like animal desire that needs to be like taken kind of like checked off and then you're better. Mm-hmm. This, it, that there's actually like a much deeper meaning between people in that exchange. And so it's actually, it was actually where I like showing and receiving love that may be a lifelong journey, not just for sexual intimacy, but just overall. Um, 
it has taken like a transformation of my eyes and of understanding um, that I am loved. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there's like a, a recipe for that other than like the practice. That's why I believe in monogamy so much mm-hmm. because the practice of this, of that kind of exchange in a physical relationship over a long period of time and um, with someone that you have to extend forgiveness to over and over again and receive forgiveness from um, that that makes this physical exchange so much more than just like the 10 minutes (laughs) that you know (laughs) that you spent (laughs) Um, so it, it has transformed for me and it has transformed me, but it has been really hard fought. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely spent a lot of years like not being able to get my head in the right space at all and feeling like I need to be um, something that I just wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, and I can look back now and say that I have been in the process of believing that I'm loved Mm. um but to tell people how to do that is a thing that I don't I don't know how to do other than to say stick with it yeah and um don't expect transformation to happen overnight yeah you know I pray I do pray and I have always prayed for healing in that area Um, and it's changed over the years for me. Um, cause a lot of my wounds are there, Mm -hmm. but, and and I always kind of expected that my prayer would be answered by just like a poof. Okay. You're healed. You know, now, you know, you're left now, boom, it's there. (laughs) It's not like so much of our life and so much of maturing is this exchange. Like it's, um, it's a give and take. It's a, it's an ongoing everyday transformation. And I don't think that we would stick with it if we didn't have hope that transformation is possible, you know, and that we can actually come to a place that like physical intimacy is actually like an exchange of grace. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's one of the ways that we actually receive healing because we're, we're, we're actually practicing it together. And so, um, gosh, I just, when I'm younger, I didn't realize how much, um, I didn't have an understanding of sacramentality. So the idea that, um, that the things that we do or the like items that we have can mean more than just their simple, like, you know, thingness or like the act itself is more than just like, you know, getting off, Yeah. you know, it, there's actually something that we're becoming together. And a lot of the things that we become together, we can't live without them, but they're invisible. You know, they're, they are, um, they're invisible things, but they require tangible and physical acts. 
to, to mature in them like love. And so, um, or intimacy or like the feeling of being known or even the feeling of being home. Like, it's not that you buy a house and walk in and you're like, ah, did it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the life you live in there together with the people that you invite in. Um, So I think trusting the the process and sticking with it and knowing that um, our acts have so much more meaning than just like that themselves Mm. is a huge part. Hope is a huge piece of it. I feel like I'm talking like an old lady. Oh my God. No, <laughs> I feel a little, it's so funny because I'm, I remember even when I published wild in the hollow, I was still so much closer and I've, I've had a lot of heartache since I've published mm. the book. And that has even more instilled this sense of like, um, rootedness in mm. me actually to what is, what actually makes me human, brings me back to my humanity and brings me healing these practices of, of intimacy and, um, of love. And I mean, and it's the same with the land still for me today. Like my hands go in the dirt as often as I can get them there. There's an exchange there, but it's so much more than just like, Oh, I like to garden. It's a great hobby. Right. Yeah. It makes me who I am. It makes me human. Yeah. There's like intimacy in that with the land. Right. And there is like that desire for touch. It actually can come from so many different places too. I think it's helpful to know, even the way you said that you've gone through different like phases with this or different, um, that it will change in different seasons of your life. And like, that's okay. And it's okay if it's not always easy and I would imagine with any of these things, or maybe it's a question with these things, you know, are there times you have to show up even though you don't want to, or you don't feel it like, um, with you, you were, you talked about kind of returning to practices that kind of ground you and root you. Are there times that you don't feel like it, but you know, ultimately it will, it will nourish you. Yeah, there, I, I think coming back to that question of what um, dehumanizes you or what humanizes you mm. is really important um, because there are times that you can um, move forward, particularly with um, physical intimacy when you don't feel it and you just feel used, like yeah. you, you give yeah. yourself over to feeling used. Yeah. And, and you actually like sign up for like, you're, if you're like, yeah, I'm into it. And then you've, you've put yourself out there to be used and that like to be consumed is that is a dehumanizing thing. Yeah. Um, but if you, uh, if you like, don't feel like it, um, but you're like, actually, I, you are a human person that I love. And I do want to share an intimacy with you. And actually, I know that'll be, I'm not there yet, but I know that will be mm-hmm. good for me too. And, and that is a, um, you know, we are sexual beings that that is like a, a way that we anticipate hunger. You know, mm-hmm. I know that I, I have these desires in me and just because I try to ignore them most of the time, <laughs> you know, that's not healthy either. So right. sometimes you have to 
sometimes we have to wake up in those things and our partners are the the person who gets to do that and so that's a part of being healthier Mm. which feels really important so I mean again there's no rule for like yeah do it you know fake it till you make it (laughs) because that 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 doesn't that's not always helpful in the realm of love or healing that's so good. I, yeah, I think sometimes the, the most trust building thing you can do is say no to something and still, and still receive love. I think what you said about learning to receive love resonated so strongly with me as like, it took, I, I don't know, maybe like the first 27 years of my life or something that was like, I have to learn to give love. I have to give and give and give. And then it was like, oh, I have no idea how to receive love, like none. And when you can't receive it, then you really can't give, you can't give that forgiveness that you're talking about to someone else or to yourself when you don't know how to receive it. And I think the thing with intimacy is like that wanting to be seen and known that you talk about um, in the book too is so deep. And that's also kind of how you describe home as like a place where you have a name. I think you said at one point, Yeah. you write in the book about when you had a moment where you were kind of at your rock bottom and then you really had this like mystical experience of feeling loved, right? Like that's what you felt in that moment was love. And you say that freedom is peace. And I feel like, especially for younger people, it's like, is peace boring? Like, do I want that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm actually really curious to hear about your relationship to like aliveness and boredom and fun and joy. Cause like you said, like home when you were a child was joyful too. So instead of it just being a series of restrictions, like, oh, I'm finding my peace by being a good girl. And these are all the things I'm not going to do. Yeah. Um, like how do you fill up and feel alive and even find like some good chaos, I guess, in, in life? Cause I know you're a poet, so you gotta like get into that chaos a little bit. <laughs> this is a great question for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I I have struggled. I said I've I've had a lot of heartache um more recently. And so I have found myself in some pretty deep despair Mm. and there's nothing like despair to put out your fire. And as a poet, I'm a creative person. Like I'm fueled by fire. Everything I do is fire, a passion. I'm, I'm all, I'm always all or nothing. I don't want to be like that, but it just (laughs) consistently, I'm all on or I'm dead. Um, So I have had to work really hard and I'm still, I'm still in process of like fanning what little flame there is and hope has a whole lot to do with it. Like, what is my hope? Mm. Um, Because my creativity actually in this season has kind of flatlined and it's been going for a lot longer than I expected it to. So to, for me, I think it's also according to what the person's gifts are, gifts and, and talents and 
um, the thing that that makes you feel wild and excited and and seeing new things and um, to feel alive. For me, uh, writing makes me feel alive. And when I don't have anything to say or don't believe that what I have to say matters, then I'm like, I'm lost. Mm -hmm. And so like, again, practices that make me feel human, like waking up and writing my guts out in my journal, even, even if I'm just writing yesterday, I cleaned out the chicken coop. It stank. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I have, I had to be okay to be bored to come back to life, to actually work in the dark with the boredom, Mm. to start fanning that flame a little bit. And then every once in a while, it's just, I'm ablaze and I've got it back. Um, So much of that though, was not stuff that I chose. Like if I'm, if I, if I have choices, I'm going to choose fire every time I got put in a place, Mm. um, life, this is what life gave me, you know, to where um, things have felt dark and fireless. So I think the fear of, um, of boredom is real or like making choices so that you're not bored is like, that makes sense to me. But I haven't experienced peace as boring at all. Mm. I think that might be a lie. Mm. Um, Monogamy. I understand that plenty of people see that as boring or they wouldn't have affairs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they meet me. Right. You know, but that, but, but my story um, that intersects with that, that had nothing to do with boredom. Mm. But that was still, um, a season of my life that I was looking for home mm. and, um, and where I actually felt a great deal of hopelessness. Mm. So um, picking hope, um, love and peace has actually been one of the least boring mm. things I've ever been a part of. Yeah. I wonder if it's actually, something we tell ourselves like, oh, that's boring, but really it's just, it can be painful. Yes. Right. So I think because, you know, I think a lot of us can relate to in some period of our lives or in different ways throughout our lives, like chasing a high, because it's just a good, quick rush of um, good feelings. (laughs) Um, and that's something like, yeah, when you're with one person and you're like, Hmm, I'm not getting like a high from them anymore. And I don't really believe I deserve love or I don't know how to receive it. So I got to like find a fix somewhere because something's not (laughs) like giving me that rush anymore, which is, easier to experience to like ride a high than to go deep and try to figure out why it's so hard for you to like feel love 
and That's give right. it and receive it. That's right. And that, that, that process of learning love, receiving and giving is such a long haul, lifelong yeah. process. And we have to have scope. Mm. Um, and when we need that quick fix rush, it's the same reason we eat ice cream at 11 o'clock PM, mm -hmm. or, you know, like it's, it's all temporary and false. Right. Those are, those are not, I'm not saying ice cream is false. Ice cream is good. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying we've got to really like be honest about what we're going to get at the end of this. Right. This, this is going to lead us somewhere. Like right. these, these actions, these get um, rich, quick schemes mm -hmm. never make us rich. Right. And it's so, like, I like, I like that um, in your husband Seth's book too, um, where he talks about addiction. Yeah. Um, I, I like kind of that he's not moralizing about the stuff of life and the stuff of earth. And I felt the same about, you weren't necessarily talking about addiction as um, directly all the time, but I also felt a similar, like, this isn't yeah. about moralizing everything and saying, oh, all this list of things is bad, but it's about like, okay, there's that hollow place inside, <laughs> right? And what's filling it and what might be actually making you a little bit emptier in the long run. And so it's not about like ice cream's bad. Right. We're trying to get the ice cream to do something so much bigger than what ice cream does. Right. As opposed to truly enjoying it, right? Like that's yeah. great to truly enjoy your ice cream, <laughs> right? Exactly. We talk about feasting here in mm -hmm. our house a lot. And that's, that's one of the things that Catholicism has done for me is show me that um, there is actually real joy and meaning mm. in feasting mm. if you're feasting all the time then feasting means nothing right no you don't feel the feast right you just have to expect life to be a great feast right and so um and it's just not so i think having practices that help us remember who we are and coming back to the humanity are th those are really mm important. I did an episode about the Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> I was talking about the, the fellowship of the ring and Jarrow Tolkien, who's a Catholic writer. Um, I was like, man, there's so much in this book about the importance of resting and feasting and not feeling bad about that. Like if you're on this journey, like feast when you can, right? Like you don't have to be ashamed of that. There are going to be times when you are in a more of a stretch of famine. And then there are times when you get to rest and, and just the rhythms of that. Um, yes. So that just came up for me as you were talking about it. Gosh, I am loving, I am loving the Catholic calendar, which I've, I've been mm. observing for a while now, even as a Protestant, um, because what happens is that it assigns meaning to your life mm -hmm. and, and gives you a rhythm for, um, for hope, like right now we're in a season, Advent is a season of hope. Yeah. And then, and then Christmas is uh, Christ has come. And so this celebration and, and feasting and 
um, and then we'll we'll engage in a, um, a season of penance. So where we're we're looking back and we're thinking about what what needs to change here, mm. so that we be more human. Mm. Um, how can I humanize those around me and help bring healing to the world? Um, so everything starts being like infused with meaning mm. right now. That's what I'm experiencing right now. And that has given me so much hope because mm. the little things that I do matter. They have meaning. They bring meaning to my life and to the life of my family. And, um, and that has helped me a lot in the realm of like, even when I'm bored, mm-hmm. boredom is, is leading me to something like I'm actually having to work to fan this flame of my creativity right now in a way that I never have before. It has given it a meaning that I never would have, I would never would have so treasured this little wick with that tiny blue flame on it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so to, and, and that's my poet eyes too. Everything means something, yeah. you know. Um, but that's the, one of the ways that I'm practicing, like humanizing myself, is uh, seeing that things matter and mean more than just like what the eyes behold. Mm. When I was listening to your audiobook over the summer, and I was living alone during the pandemic for like five months and um, I had not written in a really long time and I was walking and listening to your book and then I paused it and I just wrote a poem for the first time in like months. And the last image in the poem is about cupping a flame. So that's just a very special little um, moment now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That image, that, yeah. that image is really beautiful to me. Yeah. Me too. And saving up, um, protecting it in the moments, even when you think, oh, this will be around forever. I don't need to worry about it. (laughs) Actually, there's going to be different seasons, right? Something that's scary to me is, as a woman, is disappearing. (laughs) Like just, um, if I do um, get married, if I do have a child or children, I'm so afraid of just disappearing <laughs> in caretaking, caregiving, and there's so much labor that women do, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and already, like, I can feel that in different ways, even just in how I am as a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a friend, a, um, in my work, you know, like the tendency to kind of slip away into other people or into taking care of And so, and I think it's for you as a creative person, an artist, a writer, and a mother of four boys, (laughs) um, and um, married to someone who is also a writer and a creative person, just curious, um, I guess this is very related to what I was asking before, but how how you hold on to yourself, um, or if you have struggled with feeling that that disappearing act happening against your, against your wishes. I relate so much that I might take a second. Of course. Um, I, 
was in a working relationship with um, a minister who, um, when I left that job, I've, I had felt like working under him, what I said was, made me feel like I had evaporated. Like the parts of me became like a million pieces and I was like floating away from myself. And there were things as I began, as I walked away that helped me feel reconstituted. Mm. So brought me, that brought me back together. And part of that was being able to identify all the places that I feel consumed, mm. used up and then the places that actually like fed me mm -hmm. and reconstituted me so I think everybody would answer this differently um, but I needed to be in because I worked for a church and had felt incredibly used I needed to find a setting where I wasn't required to do anything hmm. and I need I had to have that season and I have I can look back in my marriage in seasons where I felt like I was like I could I was gone in in like even in like in my marriage relationship just with Seth but also just as a mom mm -hmm. like I'm wasted I have been used completely up there's mm -hmm. nothing left like not to mention like, and now it's bedtime and are we going to have sex? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, <laughs> um, just done and, and being able to go to Seth and say, here's where I am has been huge to have someone who loves me so much and doesn't want me to feel that it's never his intention. Right. In fact, I don't think that that was the intention of the person that I was working for previously it's usually not our intention to dehumanize people right but we have to be able to articulate to people around us when we feel used um and not just used but just consumed mm -hmm. and and like we're disappearing again man it may be the same answer as with like our sexuality that there there's not a a quick fix on right. that one but, but a life of learning to say out loud what you need and how you feel and identifying all the ways that you feel consumed and all mm -hmm. the things that reconstitute you. Like even for me, something so simple as like, I love to sing, mm -hmm. love to sing. I love to sing with people. Mm -hmm. Like it, it doesn't have to mean that you're like out there doing like, you know, crazy things to be reconstituted. Right. Like, brings me back to myself like so gardening for me setting up a garden that man that got me in my body to where I am I am back yeah even in this just one little way in this one little garden bed so it was really meticulously done for me in this past year to to find myself again it's so helpful the way you talked about it being, it can be small things and manageable things, because I think the feeling can be like, you can be consumed and then consumed by like 
bitterness or resentment or just like, no, it's just everything, everyone all the time. But to be able to actually say, actually, I just need you to cook dinner for the next couple nights (laughs) or, or we need to like literally talk about the roles that we have or not that there's like a quick fix or that it's, oh, it's all poof, it's solved. But sometimes like breaking it down into those smaller bites, like you've said, um, and carving out time for those small acts, like can do wonders. That's that's right. I bought laundry baskets. I bought four laundry baskets for my boys. Mm -hmm. Their dirty clothes. I mean, this was huge for me. Yeah. Releasing laundry. And it was a Mm -hmm. thing because they don't do it right. Yeah, like you have to let go of your control to like one of the things that we lose ourselves in is actually needing control and having to do everything. Yes. Um, So I had to release it. You know what? And if you don't have underwear to wear tomorrow, that's you're bad. Yeah. You have to wash your own clothes and make sure your dirty clothes go in the basket. And so actually there are a lot of things that we particularly as women take on that, that shouldn't be ours. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I'm a bad mother if they don't have clean underwear. Right. Like that reflects badly on me. So I can't let that happen. So I'm not going to leave it up to them. Right. I I just thought about their future spouses. Yeah. It was like, oh, they actually need to know how their clothes and put them away. So, um, yeah, I had to, I've had to release a lot of control to find myself. Yeah. And yes. and actually like sit on my bottom and and I learned to knit. Mm-hmm. I went to a teacher. I got a teacher so I could learn how to knit and do something while I'm sitting down and using my hands, something that's very my body. Yeah. A lot of times I think we do like, oh, I just don't feel myself and we like try to read books about it. You need we don't we don't just need our heads in the right place. We need our bodies to interact with this. So learning how to knit for me and then gardening has been huge. Something I can actually do yep. to feel reconstituted. Um, I also, you know, spiritual practices are also really important. The per, You know, the consistent spiritual practices have been things that have helped me to understand my particular place in this world in bringing healing and in receiving love like that isn't for me it isn't for me to disappear and that's one of the huge messages for women is that you like serve until you're gone yeah yeah you know um but there's a really because i am particularly loved Mm -hmm. there is a particular place for me and way for me to move about in that love in this world. So my spiritual practices are very important mm. for me to feel like a person. Can you get, give an example of one spiritual practice that is important to you right now? Going, I signed up for an hour of what's called adoration. Mm. So we have an adoration chapel set up and it's um, perpetual adoration. So it's 24 hours a day and people sign up for an hour. So there's a whole schedule of people. And I sign up because even if I don't feel like it, I'm going, I'm, de- I'm dependent on to be there. So that's really helpful to me to have um, practices where other people kind of expect me to show up. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Um, 
And I go sit in this tiny chapel and I am face to face with God. And there is no better way to see yourself than to see yourself in light of total divinity. Mm. And, and that, and for me to remember, I have a scheduled date to remember that I was created with the capacity and for the purpose of embodying divine love. Mm. So I practice giving time, even when I hurt all over, sitting down makes me hurt. Um, Kneeling makes me hurt. But I have a practice of giving that time so that I can remember why I'm here. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's not just about my going and saying, you're God. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. It is also you are God in me Mm. and and that is who I am and that that is that is what sends me out into the world Mm. um and that's insane I mean that's a that's a that's a really huge thing for me to say that I was made to create to to embody the divine and divine love but that is how I get to give it away Mm. There's ne- that, that never comes to an end mm. it's actually an eternal source mm. that's good stuff to me that's really know. good stuff <laughs> <laughs> is that peace for you does that feel like peace for you because I you had said before that peace has never felt boring to you and I kind of put words in your mouth after that I think I was like oh yeah maybe we're afraid of pain or um no. So I, just, I wanted to circle back and just ask, like, is that, does that feel like peace for you? It does feel like peace. I mean, and it often does feel like pain too, but mm. I'm, I'm not afraid of that anymore mm. as much as I used to me. I mean, now listen, <laughs> I'm afraid of pain. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm better at it than I used to be. Mm. Um, yeah, it feels like peace, even when things are revealed to me that need to change Mm. in my life in order for me to stay healthy Mm. and to be fully human. You know, I need to, I need to get a grip on like simple things like not staying up too late at night. Mm. I need to get like, I leave with some pretty clear dirt, like actual (laughs) directives, you know, (laughs) Hey, you're tired. That's why you're all over. You need to sleep. You're human. Yeah. Stop dehumanizing yourself. Yeah. You have to have rest. You have to have good food. You know, like it's actually really simple. Mm-hmm. But we just we have to have a practice of putting ourselves in a place to evaluate what it is that we're 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 not um the ways that we're not receiving that love. Mm-hmm. And you have to weed out those voices that are telling you to do more and eat less all the time, right? <laughs> Yes. Good gravy. Yes. I like to ask, well, I like to end with one of two questions and I would like you to choose which one feels like you want to answer it. Either what are you learning about or growing into right now? 
or what's something that's making you feel alive right now? I'm really excited about the idea of the land right now and about all that there is to learn from it. Mm. So the leaves have all fallen off the tree. Everything is dying. I've cut everything back, done all the preparation for winter. And I have immediately turned over in my imagination to the seeds I'm going to order Mm. and um, the light that I'm going to use in my home and how much time I need to give each plant. And it's such a a a beautiful thing to plan out for me and it has helped me it's showing me this practice of hope to me because there's a thing coming there's a season coming and it is a good season and it's all winter now but it's it's preparation time and so my imagination is just in this really neat fun place we have bought land and so I'm in the spring I'm hoping to run water onto that land and it's pasture land it's really yummy looking dirt and um, soil so I just have a lot of hope about planting things but what I'm noticing is that what hope does Mm -hmm. even in this dark the darkest time of the year fallow season like we, we have to have it. And in, and during COVID, good goodness. Yeah. We have to have something to look forward to. And this season is not without meaning and purpose. So just trying to captivate that in the ways that interest me, you know, mm-hmm. so gardening. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. So grateful have gotten to talk to you and that I'll get to share this out. It's just, it's been such a delight for me. Thank you. I, I'm, I really love this a lot. I haven't done something like this in a while. Mm-hmm. So this means a lot. Well, I hope you guys stay well and I look forward to seeing some, some gardening pictures on your Instagram and see what comes forth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the perennials podcast i'm victoria russell if you enjoyed the episode please share it with a friend subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review on itunes it really helps other people to find the show you can follow along on instagram at perennials podcast and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com the song you're hearing now is i orbit the moon by paul finn